Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. Yo, what's up? Welcome to the Human Music Podcast. We're here with Spider Hound, one of the coolest dudes that we all know. Super dope musician, head of A&R at Producer Dojo, and so, so much more. You're going to learn about this guy today. What's up, Spider Hound? Hello, Human Music Podcast. How are you all? (laughs) Great. Yeah, awesome. It's good to catch up with you, Sean. Yeah, totally, man. The simulation is running smoothly today. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. At least we got that going for us. New music during quarantine. How's that going? Oh my god. Yeah. Like, so I'm writing a song a day. I've been I've been doing that um, for two years now. Like uh, like clockwork. Like every every single day because I, I fully bought into the you know get to quality through quantity, and it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Like I mean I've been producing for like. 28 years and i've tried every method you could imagine and um this uh, (laughs) i wish i could go back in time like 20 years ago and tell myself dude just write a song every single day and that's the answer um because it is it's it's totally the answer um it's it's yielded results that i've wanted like my entire life and um that's the way to go i'm convinced what do you guys think about quantity Hundred percent. I fully agree. That's. I think because you can improve like exponentially on those concepts, and they're like very fresh in your mind. So as you're like redoing it every day, like I'm fully convinced. As a programmer, I've always felt like um, think like taking time away from the problem is super vital because your subconscious sort of figures stuff out. And I feel like the same is very true with producing. And as you're like instilling these workflow habits because that's all your sound really is it's like the culmination of habits that you develop over time it's like as these things are fresh simmering in your mind and you're off doing whatever until your next session the next day it's like your mind is coming up with all sorts of variations on how to do something 10 percent different here and five percent different here and whatever whatever and it might not it might seem like at the time you're doing everything like formulaically if you're not consciously like giving yourself little challenges or whatever, but I'm convinced you could run the same formula every day and just show up and do the work, write a song. And in three months, those little five, 10% differences are going to add up to like a totally, I don't want to say different workflow, but like different sound through that process. I agree. Absolutely. Completely. And, and the thing about, so the, 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 the gift of doing it every day is, um, the gift of detachment, um, because there's just so much content that you can't, you can't, you can't get attached to any of it because, because t- tomorrow you'll be doing something totally different. Right. Um, so detachment is key when you get to attached to something, um, you're 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 not as willing to take risks and and experiment and then and then the, the the longer you invest in the song like the harder it is to become the editor because you get too attached mm-hmm. to all the elements that you put into it so so it's the gift of detachment but it's it's also um you 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 develop a, a be, 
a keen sense for when something's going to work and when something's not going to work. Um, whereas like years ago when I'd be working on a song, I'd have no idea, is this thing going to work or not? Maybe if I put in more time, it'll be great, right? But um, what I'm realizing now is like I could sense pretty quickly like whether or not it's going to be release worthy or whether or not it's just like it's just the daily practice and it's it's going to be mediocre right like i I could i get i i get that sense really quickly um Mm -hmm. these days i don't know what what about you guys like do um when you're working on something at, at what point do you like how long does it take for you to say like oh this is totally going to be this is release worthy or um i don't know this is just a mediocre thing i'm working on I I wish I wish I could take more notes from from your process and apply it. Like we even had a conversation. Like what was that? Like a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, where I was like asking you how you you structure your daily practice because I want to do that more. I just like I get too I get too in the weeds when I when I sit down to write a piece of music and like it takes me so long to get to the point where I know if it's, if it's good or not, I just need to sit down and like write a chord progression every day or like write a guitar riff every day or something, because it's always, it's always the songs where I like start working on and then land on something like a chord progression that is really special in my eyes. And those are the songs that end up being great. But like, my brain always goes like, man, you know how long it takes you to get to that point. Like you can't do that in 30 minutes. So I like end up just like doing something else with that time that I could spend, you know, on, on a daily habit like that. And so you're definitely an inspiration for me, at least on keeping that quantity of, of output up to get to those types of ideas. Because like you said, quantity through quality is 100% a fact. Uh, if I spend, if, you know, like if I set aside a Saturday to work on music and write a whole song there, it it doesn't, it doesn't always end up in an amazing song. Even if I give myself the whole day, because like that, the idea that you run with has to be great at, at the start. Like you said, you kind of know, like if this is yeah. going to be the one, or if it's just going to be another one, uh, not another one in the, uh, DJ call it sense, <laughs> Yeah, more so like the way I look at it is like this is just going to be mediocre. Like eighty, like seriously, like eighty percent of the stuff I work on is mediocre, um, and and twenty percent is the release worthy stuff. So I, I can tell like oh this is just it's not going to be, it, it might be okay and it could it could be good, but it's it's not going to it's not release worthy, which is fine because then I kind of like look at it. It's like going to the gym, right? Like it's all right. I'm I'm at the gym. I'm working out. <laughs> right. That's more than half the battle. Yeah. Yeah, showing up. So like, it's kind of like, um, like I was thinking today, like a metaphor. It's kind of like um, up, up at bat. Like the more you get up to bat, the more chances are of having a home run. But like, it's like so say, like in the course of a year, you only get up to bat twelve times. I mean, what's the like likelihood that you're going to hit a home run in those 12, 12 up at bats? Right. So I love that analogy. That's so accurate. Right. So accurate because even the best ones, even the the greatest players of all time it's like one one out of three you you just get on base 
Yeah. How often are you going to hit a home run? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You get like totally. 60 home runs in a season with, I don't know, baseball that well, but 1,000 at-bats? How many at-bats do you get? Three at-bats a game? You don't play 300 games. 180? 160 yeah. games, something like that. It's, okay, so, it's a crazy amount of games either way. Between this is some music podcast, not a sports podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, and the, it's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I, I don't even, like, follow sports, so it's, like, a weird analogy for me. Like, no, but, no, it, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So applicable, though. Uh, we are a podcast of analogies, though. We love <laughs> Yeah, the more metaphors we can stuff into an episode, the better, better. we feel we did. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense in some multiverse. Yeah, there is a moment yeah. <laughs> definitely hits home more than others. Uh, yeah. But, okay, so we'll call it between five and 600 at-bats a year, and you hit 60 home runs, you're a fucking legend. So that's one in 10 for the best ever. That's that you, that, that really, even sounds crazy to that me. That sounds crazy, right? Like, And that really puts it in perspective. Like, the best are going to get one out of 10. Like, you know, does that apply to music, you know, Full mm-hmm. apples to apples, I don't know, but it is a good indication of like the best possible result you can get reasonably could happen one out of ten times if you're doing really well. So write more music. Hundred yeah. percent. I think totally. it's hard to tell too which will be the home run for each person too. Yeah. Like Dylan really instilled that idea in the early days of like you're not writing for yourself. Like you're writing for yourself in terms of like scratching that itch, but as far as like letting other people judge the art for what it is and like let them relate to it based on their experiences and what they like in music. It's like, you don't know what that's going to be for whoever. And like, there's so many songs that pop off like a year or two later because it just took the right group of people to find it or like the, the record label people that slept on the Beatles or whatever. It's like, it wasn't a home run for them, but it was a home run for the rest of the world. So totally who knows? Yeah. I mean, Sean, you're, you are one of the people that I would say has the most credibility for being able to say quantity through quant or quality through quantity, because you've, you've, you've had enough time to realize what works and what doesn't. I, for me, I'm personally curious. I don't know that I've ever heard your full, your full story of where your musical journey has taken you, what styles you've dived into, why you've landed on electronic music. I, w- I would love personally to hear where, where you've come from and any insights you've gained from all of that experience. Oh, geez. Sure. Yeah. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> like, um, so I first, I, I loved music since I was a kid, you know, um, th- that was like, that was my thing. Right. Uh, I, I would uh, come home from school and just lie on the floor and uh, dating myself. But like at the, so at the time it was records. Right. So I would just lie on the floor and like listen to Led Zeppelin or Jimi Hendrix or Pink Floyd and just look at the album cover and read the lyrics. And um, and I was I was I took up guitar when I was 14 years old. And um, basically then I learned by ear and my parents you know, saw like that I was figuring it out by myself with no help. And they were like, Oh, would you like, uh, for some lessons? And I was like, hell yeah, I'd love some lessons. And so they, um, I, I went to, there was a guitar store in town and they were uh, Catalanos. It was, and, um, he, he would 
gave me guitar lessons. I, I, so I took lessons. I learned sight reading. I learned theory, the whole thing. Um, and when, when I started getting really good at guitar, then I started getting into bands. And in, in the first instance, I was, um, I made no original songs. Like I was just learning, I, w- I would learn off records. Like I would hit Jimi Hendrix and I would learn the solo, Eddie Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, you name it, on and on. Um, and I would just learn it by ear. And um, then I would get into these bands, these cover bands, and w- would play cover songs. Uh, and then when I was in college, um, when I got to college, the um it was good money actually uh, well it was good for many reasons <laughs> it, was, it was like uh, it was a good way to meet girls um but it was also it was as fun as hell like you go to the bar and like you know you're the center of attention like everybody's there to like you know watch watch you guys and and the weird thing is like like fans started to develop like for cover bands, it was it was weird. Like we weren't playing any original music, and like people would come to the bars uh, to they hear we were playing, and they'd come to the bars and stuff. And um, so at the time, we, it was like in the grunge era. So we were playing like Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, uh, uh, name a '90s band um, like that was our set, Nine Inch Nails. Um, just name a 90s band like that's what we were playing at the bar and um we made good money like we when we packed the bar out um the at one point we were bringing so many people to the bar because basically everybody from the college would just come to the bar and bar would pack out like wall to wall and um we negotiated a split of the bar so like they gave us a percentage of the bar at the end of the night and um you know we walked we would walk home with like twelve hundred dollars each or, or something like that. Um, for, it was what the fuck. Yeah, was, those were the days, eh? Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> that is um, so good. But but that was like at the peak of the time, right? So so things started going downhill because like people just started like you know they didn't want to keep doing the same. Th- they eventually got bored of it, and less and less people started coming. And and it was so interesting. I remember. Like it was yesterday. Like when you pack out a bar, the, the owners love you. Everybody loves you. The people love you. The uh, the owners love you. Everybody's making money. Everybody's happy. But then when like less and less people start showing up, it's at the end of the night. Like the owners hate you. <laughs> like, they're like, what are you doing? Like there's nobody come. They don't. Nobody's coming. Like we don't like you anymore. Like you know they, they like just say rude stuff to you because like I mean they were depending on you for you know the income right and then if pe- people weren't showing up then like you'd get scolded at the end of the night and stuff like that and um so yeah the times were good but then they they got bad and and then we would we would play like house parties and and beach parties and stuff like that but um but i got sick of that uh just playing other people's songs and i started writing my own original music and and then slipping it into the sets and stuff like that like um we'd play a bunch of covers then i'd slip in like an original song and people go, oh what is that and be like oh, i wrote it and uh, you know that was kind of cool because you you get like a 
a real opinion of what people think because they, you know, they maybe they thought it was a cover that they just hadn't heard before or something like that. So, um, so then one, once I got the taste for that, I didn't want to do any covers anymore. So then I just focused on being in original bands. And um, there was uh, one band um, I was in for like 10 years. It was called Yellow Dog and um, got together with like a friend from high school and his college buddy and um, a couple, a couple other guys. And we were just an all original band. Like we just, we would basically go to the, uh, one of the, the guitar player had like a cabin in, in the woods and uh, we would go to his house and we, the whole weekend we would just workshop stuff. We would sit there with the acoustic guitars and just like, you know, um, come up with songs and then record them, do like demo tapes and then, um, I mean, we wrote hundreds of songs together and then we would just tour all around and stuff like that. We got a pretty good, big following. Um, we started packing out bars with the original band, which was cool. Um, so we, we had like a residency, um, at this, at this bar in New York city and we would pack it out every time and, um, people kept coming and, you know, that was a good situation. Uh, and then we would tour like all the clubs in the city. Like we played everything, every, every club in the city, um, toured like all around. And um, one time we opened for Mountain. There's this class. There's this classic rock uh, band called Mountain. Um, did, you, did you ever hear of Leslie West? No. Oh. Is he from that band? I, I've heard of the band. The band, like, so the the big hit is like Mississippi Queen, right? Oh, Mississippi yeah. Queen. That's... So yeah. So like, we opened for him. That was like our big. That was like our big moment. Um, we we opened for him. He was he was a jerk, by the way. Like, um, <laughs> total total jerk. Like, uh, you know, it was disappointing because, like, you know how like when you 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 admire somebody and then you meet them and you're like, Oh, I wish I never met them. Cause this guy's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was just like, he was so rude to his guitar tech. Like if something would go wrong with his guitar pedals, like he would like get out here, like get out here, you son of a bitch and fix this guitar. Thing. <laughs> like in the middle of the show, like everybody knows just like, <gasps> like and, and the poor guy, the poor guy would come out on stage. Like, uh, um, like, you know, covering himself because of, he's probably used to getting like beaten by Leslie West. And he was just like, you son of a bitch. Like, don't make this happen again. Like he was awful. I don't understand how people like that. Can, he was off. It's terrible. Fucking get to that level treating people like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just an aside for a person that's been yelled at by somebody else on stage for something that wasn't my fault. Uh, don't ever do that. If you're like, especially for all the, our listeners, you'll be out DJing somewhere and some malfunction will happen and you might get angry. You might get scared. You might turn around and want to yell at somebody. Just don't do it. Everybody in the crowd will be like, just like Sean was now. Oh, this guy sucks as a person, <laughs> even though I liked his music. I don't think I'm going to come see him anymore because this was a really awkward moment in the middle of a good night. Just don't do that. Be yeah, nice totally. to people. Even oh, if yes. it wasn't their fault. They're there's working a, to fix it. There's a video of Skrillex's like DJ messing up mid-set. I think it was Skrillex. And he's just like, hey! And the whole crowd's like, hey! And then they just had a good time about it. And that's how you do it. It's, that's so true. Like, like Even like Zed's dead. Like at Shambhala. Like completely fucked 
the pre-drop. Like they were supposed to bring in the, uh, they brought in the wrong fader and it was silence when like the, they were like hyping the crowd up and then it was just silence. And the guy was just like, ah, let's run that one again. And everyone was like, yeah, you know, that no one was mad. Like, no, it you just acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. yeah. You, the, the guy that turns around and like fucking throws his hands up. Like it wasn't me. What the fuck? You're like, <laughs> Come on, bro. No one cares. Get on with it. You know? Like, yeah, the coolest thing about live shows is like those moments when mistakes happen, right? Because it's like it's memorable. Okay. And people enjoy that. It's not like yeah. they don't like think less of you because of it. It's just like, oh, it's, you know, it's just entertaining, right? So like don't take yourself too seriously. Don't don't be mean to other people. Just like mm-hmm. you know, make it like a joke and play yeah. it off and keep going. If anything, it's kind of inspiring. Like I know growing up watching guitar players play, like when they just horrendously mess it up, you're like, oh, thank God he's human too. Like I have a chance here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe he's just a guitar dimmy God, not a full on guitar. Right. I have a chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, um, so back to back to your story, Sean, yeah. about how uh, how so you came up, you got that to that kind of high water mark with that band of of opening for for Angry Dude. <laughs> yeah, so so basically, what, uh, we were in that band all the way up until I had um, so me and the other guitar player had our first kids at the same time. Like mine, uh, Emma was born in August and his firstborn was born in like October. Right. So basically the band just ended, right. It was like, it was the logical time for the band to end because we were new dads and that was our complete focus. And there was no time for rehearsals or playing out or anything like that. So, um, so the band, the band came to end. It was a logical end to the band. There was no hard feelings or anything. Everybody just kind of like went on their lives. Um, and so for a couple of years there, I just focused on being a new dad and I didn't go into the DAW once in those two years. Um, And it was pretty painful. Like I I just felt like a little empty um, because I always had that outlet, uh, like my whole life, uh, you know, whether it was playing guitar or writing original songs or, you know, there's always music, you know, creativity in my life. And then, um, sorry, not to cut you off. Um, but so you were already producing at this time you got into producing before your daughter was born. Oh yeah. So, uh, the, the first time I got into producing was when I was 18 years old. Like I, I produced, um, my, my first original song, like on a four track recorder, it was like a four track task cam. And I, I got into the four track and learning that. And then I, I recorded tons, tons of crappy tunes. <laughs> that's how it Um, goes yeah yeah totally like if god like i i I wouldn't even want you to hear them it's so embarrassing like i wouldn't want you to hear them we all got Um, those we all got those brother (laughs) so bad but um but yeah so like i i was i was into analog so recording on analog four track until um until this up uh this opportunity came up for to work in a post-production studio and they were on pro tools and i was like what's this magic this is amazing and um the second the first time i saw pro tools i was like my my whole like my brain just exploded i was like what like there's like you know unlimited undos and like this is insane like everything you could do with it because like i was used to like wrestling i don't know if you've ever used an uh 
a, a four track tape recorder, but it's completely unforgiving. Like it basically, um, you're basically like tattooing the sound into the into the tape. And there's no undo. So like like so if you're doing a take, like it's burnt into the thing, and you can't like the only way to redo the take is just to tape over it, right? And then the 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 most anxious part is like when you have you could turn four tracks into into six tracks or or eight tracks if you bounce it so what what bouncing is is you collapse the tracks onto two um so basically the four that you've recorded basically get collapsed onto two and and then you have two extra tracks to uh, to use but the thing is um there's no undo so like when when you collapse the tracks and do a recording over it it's it's etched in there forever <laughs> like yeah so so talk about nerve-wracking like okay i, I want to do a guitar solo and it's like if you hit a bad note it's like there's not you can't it's in there so it's either do the whole damn song over or just go with it or try to cover it up or something <laughs> Wow, we are blessed to live in these times. For real. Unlimited it, tracks, unlimited undos, unlimited instances of serum. Everybody out there, stop complaining about whatever you were complaining <laughs> about and just like tip your hat to whoever made your DAW and keep making music. Seriously, like I was like a kid in the candy store because like I was used to wrestling with this damn four track recorder where like you know, it's it's like walking on a tightrope. Like you're you're doing a guitar take, and it's like you're sweating. But like you know how like on the spot you feel like when you're doing a take. Um, even in Ableton, like you have unlimited undo, it doesn't matter. But you still have that like anxiety, like oh, I got to nail this right. Yeah, it's of times that t- practice it twenty times is fine, and then times that by a hundred it's like okay i'm gonna hit record and this is gonna get etched into the tape and there's no undo so it's like it's like like, miss the first note totally it's it's funny now how um producers sort of have the opposite problem where it's these like commitment issues and it's finding that sweet balance between the two where it's like it has to it'll never be 100 percent good it's got to be like 95 percent, and you got to like tell yourself like all right, there's the whole rest of the song to be written. Like, do you feel like that helped you through that phase? Or do you feel like you still had those, like, I don't want to say commitment issues, but like, do you feel like that hindered your workflow when you started having unlimited takes? Or do you feel like that tape recording process, like gave you a a good perspective into like being able to move past that? Oh, great, great question. So, Having the unlimited, no, I totally bought into the unlimited tracks, and and I and that is like that became my number one problem. Is like I just put too much shit. I, I layered because I had the power. Now I was like power, like unlimited tracks. Like this, let me do ten guitar. Like, like, because like, 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 oh, you know, two guitar tracks sounds good, but ten guitar tracks, that's gonna be like the best guitar ever. Like, like, so I'd layer like. 10 12 guitar tracks and it sounded like shit and i'm like wait how come wait 12 guitar tracks isn't better than two guitar tra- like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a, a lot of diminishing returns huh <laughs> i i have definitely found myself there in my early years where i was like wait two lead sounds stacked on top of each other sounds good let me get eight leads <laughs> they're all presets none of them work together they're all sawtooth waves and let's just stack that shit up it's huge it sounds great 
Where'd my drums go? Yeah, what? <laughs> right. It sounded terrible. It sounded terrible. <laughs> so, so yeah. So like, it, it created new problems for me because like I, then I just threw too much shit in there, and then like I became unable to take anything out because like everything I threw in there, I was too attached to. Mm-hmm. So like I, I just made these like messy. Um, layer cakes layer cakes messy uh, terrible layer cakes they're Mm -hmm. goddamn awful but um fast forward to uh fast forward to oh god um to when so after the two years after emma was born i i wanted to get back into production and i i always wanted to produce electronic music um basically so in 1993 i lived in england for a year and um like i did the year abroad as part of my uh, college and uh i got introduced to the rave scene while i was over there and like it was just like the best year of my life it was it was amazing like i would go to all these raves in england in the countryside like three-day raves and they were just it was just life-changing right please Um, please tell me that these raves were the type where like you got a map point and like you had to show up to the convenience store and then that guy would give you the real location of where you were going. Is that what was going down or is that just like glorified? So that sounds American. That sounds American. Um, so in England, it was just like I mean, people just they didn't, went to raves all the time. So like it was it was not a secret, um, you know, that there was just raves happening all the time. And um, the, so the first rave I went to was a friend's was at a friend's house in the countryside. So it was like in the middle of nowhere in England, in the countryside. And it was the, it was there. So imagine it was like a bunch of students living in this house in the countryside. Right. And um, they just had a three day rave. Like it started on like a, like Jesus. a, like a Friday okay. night. And I think it ended on like, like Tuesday or something. Like it was, Jesus it was Christ. yeah, it was nuts. It was, but the, the weird thing is, is like, um, it, it, it felt like one evening. Um, Cause like they had all the, they had all the windows like blacked out and stuff like mm. that. So, um, you could kind of like lose track of time. And, um, I remember leaving and, and I, I was thinking it was like, it was like Sunday or something. And they were like, dude, it's Tuesday. Like, well, they don't say dude, but hey, yo, mate, mate, right. <laughs> but, but it's Tuesday. And I'm like, what? Like, that's impossible. What are you talking about? That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. But they went for it. Like it, they, everybody just went for it. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. All vinyl. Um, you know, all vinyl DJs, nonstop music. Like the music didn't stop for a second. It was like seamless transitions, nonstop music the whole time. Um, insanity. It was, uh, it was incredible. And then, so there was other raves there, like, you know, like festivals, like you'd go to like these festivals in these big, um, fields and they'd have tents set up and stuff like that. Each tent would have different music in it and stuff like that. But it was, uh, the music was different back then. It was like, um, it was, it was, uh, it was longer. Like, so the songs were longer, like they, you know, 10 minute songs and, and they were very drawn out and really long buildups and, um, really long drops that would last forever. And like, it, the, the, I think people had more patience back then. It was more hypnotic. So oh, really? it, it was more hypnotic and people would just be going for it. And, you know, plus it's way harder to quick mix on vinyl. 
Yeah. <laughs> Once you get that song cued and those two decks working simultaneously, it's like, okay, let's, let me take a deep breath and let this happen for a while. <laughs> it was very, very hypnotic and um, four on the floor type stuff. It was like the constant four on the floor hypnotic uh, stuff. Um, but it was, it was awesome. Um, so, so, so ever since then, like I had loved electronic music. And then when, when Radiohead came out with, uh, with Kid A, I was like, God damn, like, that's it. That's it. Like, that's what I want to do. Cause like, it was like the perfect hybrid between like rock and roll and electronic music. And I was like, God, that's the future. That's what I, that's what I want to, that's what I want to learn. And, um, then when I had the opportunity to, you know, be by myself, because I was with the band for so long, it was, it was a commitment between other people. So, you know, there wasn't time to have like an electronic music side project, right? Like I was completely focused on like making and producing and, and stuff like that. So were you mixing all those records yeah. in those days too? Yeah. So I, I produced all our record, all our albums um and and mix them and you know i think one time we got one of the albums professionally mastered but um but yeah i did i did all that stuff so i cut my teeth on that uh, like in rock and roll and but producing rock and roll is very different than producing electronic music i learned out i learned pretty quickly um because because now here i was i wanted to start learning electronic music and i'm like all right I, I was on Pro Tools. I was on Pro Tools for like 16 years. And I hated it because um, it wasn't very conducive to, uh, to, to getting an idea from your head immediately into the DAW. Like um, it was great for tracking bands and mixing and mastering, but like to go from idea to execution, it, it was very clunky. And, and so I was, I was looking on YouTube um, at, at, at the time, like I was, I, I was in love with like Fortet. Um, I really loved his music. So I would like, I, I saw this, um, against the clock, but with Fortet where he made this song in 10 minutes and, um, and I was watching it and he had this funky DAW and I was like, what the hell is that thing? I, I, I he didn't say what it was. There was no notes. Like, I'm like, well, what DAW, what the hell? Dawes he using it was it was magical like he, he in 10 minutes he had a f- complete song and it was amazing and he's like oh i think i'll play this at the club tonight and i'm like what is this thing i gotta get it and i took a screenshot of it and then like i was you know looking doing looking f- for the image on through google to find out what the hell is this thing and i found out it was ableton immediately bought it and uh and then found out uh, i had no idea what the hell i was doing like <laughs> I was completely lost. Uh, like a very like, different 10 minutes for you. <laughs> oh God. Like I was like, what the hell is session view? Like I, I get arrangement view. Like what the hell is this session view? And I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So then I started scouring YouTube for tutorials and everywhere, everywhere. Ill Gates popped up. Ill Gates, Ill Gates, Ill Gates, Ill Gates, Ill Gates, Ill Gates, Ableton, Ill Gates. And I watched them all and I got the, um, ill methodology and it blew my mind like he just explained these incredibly complex topics in a way that connected psychology and sociology and um and 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 it it just made so much sense like everything he said like i I completely connected with 
um, and he resonated uh, with me. Um, and then I, I found his website and I bought all the stuff off his website, like all uh, templates and um, sound packs and everything. And then um, I, I, there was an e- there was a contact thing on his website and I emailed him and I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I made a song. What do you think? <laughs> And, and like two weeks later, he answered me. Like I didn't think he was going to answer me. Um, he answered me, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, I've, I've you know I've been to- you know touring or something." He, and he's he gave me feedback on my song, and it was that was incredible. It was like the first time in my life, like an artist connected with me. Like you know, like up until that point, it was it was um, like, like think about when I was growing up. Like the artists were like. The, the, the musicians that you look up to like Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones and like, these are all like people that you admire, but you're never going to meet them ever. Right. And if you do, they're like the dude from mountain. <laughs> yeah. And if you do, it's yeah. If you do, it's, it's probably a situation where like you're backstage and it's like, hi, I'm, I'm I love you. Like, this is, I love, you know, like it's nice to, you know, and that's it. Right. But, um, actually like, the the new kind of um the new industry kind of started happening around that time where like you know artists were like directly connecting with their fans and um and like having like you know more impactful relationships with their with their fans and stuff like that whereas like back in the day there was a wall between the fan and the artist it was like the artist was on stage and they're on a pedestal you can't touch them you can't interact with them you just admire them it's like look no touch like you know what i mean yeah there's a separation between artist and fan um whereas now it's 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 kind of like there's a connection there's like a direct connection between artists and fans um, due to social media and the, and the immediate access you have to them and stuff like that. So, um, so I connected with him and, you know, we would talk back and forth via email. And then he, he, um, he set up a Patreon site and I remember seeing the video. Um, he, he launched the video on YouTube saying like, Oh, I have a Patreon. And he explained what Patreon is and then said like, um, Oh, you know, I have a, a top tier and if uh if you join the top tier you get one-on-one lessons and i was like th- that moment like the light bulb like it was you know when you have that moment and it's just like oh this is it like this is that that chance right um i was on a train coming from work and I, I, so i tried to like order the thing on my phone and it wasn't working and i was freaking out i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna miss out i'm not gonna be like i'm gonna I'm, get i get home i run into the computer like i, I, na- I you know i nab it and i'm like oh i got it yeah I'm, I, I i get one-on-ones with uh with ill gates and um and so at that time it was like me matter um timmy from mindset um tesco re- you were in there at that time right shortly after shortly i after. think i think it filled up once and then one person left and then i hopped in yeah, um, I think uh, Moon Splatter was in there. Uh, it's basically like the sense, you know, the m- most of the senseis were like the first twelve, um, and and then I had one on ones with him for two years, which were mind blowing. Um, you know, I, I just uh, had incredible growth during those two years uh, because I had plateaued uh, um, because I was surrounded by people that just 
uh, like when I asked for feedback, they'd be like, it's great, right? And that wasn't very helpful because I wasn't growing. I was just plateauing. Like I was just believing like I was great. And um, nobody was actually giving me uh, feed, like critical feedback that I needed to hear. And Dylan, <laughs> he would rip me every, t- every time we would meet. He'd like rip me a new not Not rip me. Like he would tear my shit apart, right? Uh, like, oh, you got to work on this, dude. You got you to gotta work on this. And that's what I need. That's what I needed to hear. I like hearing like, Oh, it's great. I love it. Good job. Like that's not, you're not going to grow. Right. Totally. But I, I I don't know about you guys, but like, um, so the big problem with that, I was, I was having many problems, but, um, one of the big problems I had was, uh, because I was a rock and roll producer, like all the songs I was creating didn't have any sub in them. There was no, there was no sub bass because like, uh, what the hell was sub bass? I, I didn't, I knew bass guitar. I didn't know what the fuck is sub bass. So like all the songs I produced basically were void of sub bass. And, and Dylan kept saying like, yeah, it's good. But like, where's the bass? <laughs> I'm like, well, there's a bass in there, but it was like, uh, it was like one of those, like, like higher know, mid basses. Yeah. Like, like mid basses, like, you know, like analog bass yeah. kind of things. He's like, yeah, no, no. Like, like where's the sub bass? And I'm like, what the hell's sub bass? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man, it's perspective on it is so different. Like the assumptions we go into coming from where we came from, like, what does a song need? You start into a new genre, unless you've got somebody there who understands where you're trying to move and understands that zone it's so hard to get like real critical feedback from somebody uh and that's why man that's why ill gates is the man for opening that up and then expanding that and and having you know all of us teach for him now yeah and i don't know about you guys but like it was a real it was a real growth uh, moment for me because um to be to be honest like the first time he gave me feedback like it hurt it hurt my feelings like like i was i i was really hurt um you know i licked my wounds i like went away and i was like lick my wounds i'm like oh like my shit sucks like that's okay <laughs> you know but then like it, i needed that like it took you know a couple months of one-on-ones with him until i started getting like a stronger um, uh, uh, resilience to to feedback, and then I, I developed. Uh, then I became uh, better at receiving feedback. When I realized it wasn't mm-hmm. personal, it, it's it's not it's not personal. It's it's there to help you grow, right? Um, but I remember that, that you know the first feeling of that because like I was for years like I, I'd write a song, I'd give it to a friend, and they'd be like, "It's awesome, dude! This is great!" Like so, it, I was not used to hearing somebody like dude like this sucks like what (laughs) what do you think what do you think it was for you um that that made you want to keep going through that um like because i think sometimes starting producers don't know how to like properly take that feedback and they do take it personally and like get hurt what do you think it was about you that made you so coachable that you wanted to like keep going through that let's call it painful process yeah, it, well, because I mean, it wasn't a fluke, right? Like, so, I you know, I I was in the game since I was fourteen, right? And it wasn't like I picked up 
uh, you know, I picked up the hobby six months ago, right? Like mm-hmm. I, it's my whole life, I've, it's been with me my entire life. And my entire life, I've been striving to get better and better and better and better, um, you know, one step at a time. And just so that that just has become like innate in, in, in me. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always trying to accomplish more to get to the next goal like I, I would always set these little goals like I remember the, the first time I picked up the guitar my first goal was like oh I, I can't wait until the day that I'm able to play all the open chords with my eyes closed um that was my first goal and then I hit that goal I'm like oh cool like I was like okay I can't wait till I could play the the pentatonic scale in like every position on the guitar with my eyes closed and then so I would keep setting these goals and be like, oh, you know, I can't wait until I can play guitar and sing at the same time. And be like, oh, hit that goal. Or, so next goal, I can't wait until, you know, I would keep setting goals. Like um, I ha- now I want to achieve this. And then I would work my butt off until that became a reality. And then I would just keep keep going and, and keep going. Um, did, did that answer the question or did I go off? Course? Yeah. What do you think someone can do to be more coachable if they're in that stage? I, um, it's easier said than done, uh, but just, re- just truly, when you when you hear me say, it's not personal. It really is not. It's not personal, and and I know it's it's easier said than done because it feels personal to an artist. Like um, an artist, that's their life. Like that's that's their passion, you know. So like when, and they feel good about their passion, right? Like they they feel. It's it's meaning it means something to them, right? And you know when somebody criticizes criticizes that, it kind of hurt, stings. It's it stings a little. Yeah. Um, but but it's I think it's it's a necessary um, part of growth. Like you have to um, get over the sting because now like I get feel, it, I, it's not attached to my emotions whatsoever and because I I grew I. I I went head into the experience and got to the point where I was able to detach my emotions from feedback. Right. Um, it was something I had to learn. Um, and it was, it was painful, like, because I had so equated, um, you know, what other people thought of my music to satisfaction that like when I was getting critical feedback, it was like physically painful. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think that's one thing that, is really tough for producers just starting out because you like when you're just starting out, you kind of, you need a certain amount of ego to propel you through those early years where you do kind of suck, like to believe that you're good enough to get through the amount of work that it's going to take to really get good. You have to believe that you have an innate talent to make it worth your time. And when someone's critical of your work early on, even though you know in the back of your mind that what they're saying is true, it's really hard to have that that moment of equalization of, you know, y- your music. You're not you're not Skrillex right now. I know that you want to be Skrillex right now, and that in some respects you think that you might be an earlier version of Skrillex because that's where your ego is telling you to propel you through these awkward beginner stages. But the the coming to terms with the fact that you know you're not Skrillex right now, but you're working towards being that good, and it's okay that what you're making right now isn't perfect, and 
realizing and have some, and having someone point out where your stuff isn't perfect um, is actually really beneficial right now because it helps kind of direct where you might need to put in some extra effort. It's just kind of tough because without without having the the ego to to have to burn down it's just really hard to like to to put in all of the extraordinary amount of work that it takes to get good at producing so i i think that's probably the the biggest reason that i see that people would have a tough time with that um yeah i see i see this coming back around to where we started in that quality through quantity like you said at first when you first started getting feedback each bit of feedback stung on a personal level and the more you did it you realize like oh that's just my ego taking a bruise and it actually doesn't really have anything to do with me this is me showing a work in progress to somebody who's dedicated to helping me and i can just not take it personally and apply the feedback and move forward faster and so like coming at it with this, I'm going to get as much feedback as possible to burn away that sting right now so that I can get to the part where I can just get more and more feedback. I think that's a really important lesson there. Yeah, absolutely. I on think that, on that, oh, sorry. Oh. Go for it, Evan. You go for it. I just, All right. <laughs> I was going to ask, um, Sean, because I'm sure you have like some serious gems for the listeners as far as like, building yourself up to being able to write a song a day what kind of advice do you have for people whether it's like knowing what steps you're going to do or like preparing your library or anything along those lines that'll help people stay organized with their favorite sounds and like refine that workflow and get it down to where they can get to a point like you where they can sit down each day and know that they can write a song a session yeah so um so a lot of people, when I tell them my process, they kind of, they, they go, like, I, I could see the anxiety in their face. So it's not for everybody because, like, I, I thrive in chaos. So, like, I, I have, like, no organization whatsoever. Like, I just have, like, hard drives filled with sounds. And I love randomly stumbling upon sounds and then just going with it. Um, that, that works for me. Um, it doesn't work for everybody. Some people need that organization where like they, they can pull from their top 10 kicks and their top 10 snares and their sparks and their purple cows and stuff like that. But like, I, I kind of, I thrive in the chaos. Um, and I, it, you know, I've, I've kind of, I learned that from, um, so I, I worked with Mr. Bill for a year. Like he was, I did one-on-ones with him for a year and the striking thing, um, working with him is um, his ability to just grab a sound like he doesn't even care like he'll just go into his library just grab it he didn't even listen to the damn thing like like how did you know like that thing that you just picked like he's like it doesn't matter like i get i can make it what i want it to be right so um i i kind of that's what i do like i make the best of, of what i grab like it's not because I I can tell you I did the opposite where like I would lose a whole afternoon looking for that perfect kick and I'm, I, it's a, it's that's time I'm never going to see back. Um, right now I'm just grabbing something and just going with it. Like if, if it doesn't sound great, okay, how can I make it sound great? And then I'll manipulate it until it sounds cool, and and then I'll just go with it. So um, that's one thing. Another thing is. <coughs> um, Another thing is managing expectations. So uh, just 
a lot of the people um, when they start the the quantity leads to quality crusade, um, if their expectations are too high, they 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 it could lead to depression and anxiety because what happens is. Um, you know, they, 12 days could go by and they could have 12 songs and then tw- it's 12 crappy songs. And then they get all like depressed and anxious and they start beating themselves up and they're like, oh, I, I suck at producing. I should maybe I shouldn't even be doing this shit. Like, what am I doing? Um, and and it's that's just part of the process. So, like, d- don't um, don't l- let that get you down like just just realize that like i don't know if you've ever seen that image of like the guy he's like digging through a mine and and you could see like he's he's digging through this mine and and he's basically dug through tons and tons of dirt and and there's a thin like he's got on the other side of the wall is this huge like diamond and and but he's so exhausted from having like you know cut away like all this dirt and and all he had to do was just swing the axe one more time the pickaxe one more time and he he would have been the biggest diamond you ever you ever saw in your life right but he just like he gave up like before that last swing um so that's really the the process is like is like realizing that you're gonna have 22 day streaks 30 day streaks sometimes where it's just nothing but shit and mediocre stuff um but on the 23rd day um, you're going to have this magic moment. And I'm a firm believer that you have to go through those shitty steps to get to the good stuff. Like you can't just fast forward to the good stuff. You, you have to go through those steps. Um, the thing is like, you don't know what the steps are going to be. Maybe it's three days of mediocre crap and, and then you'll, you'll do a great song or it could be 22 days of mediocre crap and then you get to a good song, but, but it, it ebbs and flows. Like, and you could have good streaks and bad streaks. Like, um, like this weekend, I had a I had a really good streak. I, I did three songs um, that are like all release worthy. Um, it was like ma- it was a magical weekend. It was just like bang, bang, bang. I knocked them out like really quickly. Um, but then the, the weekend prior to that, like everything I worked on was crap. It was total crap. But but not letting that uh, psychologically get you down um in any way shape or form look at it as like every minute spent in the daw is positive um there's nothing negative about it so whether it yields a release is is irrelevant um it's it's all leading up to that and contributing to it Mm -hmm. one more pickaxe swing one more pickaxe swing i swear to god like it's just it's like you know um i i think when people when people realize how much work it takes, they, they give up um, because, because it wasn't for them. And, it, you know, if it's not for you, that's great. Um, congratulations for discovering that. And, and then now you can move on with your life and, and find the thing that is for you. But um, I, I, for, for me, like, I know it's, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a hobby. Like, <laughs> like I've been doing this my whole life. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's more like a drug addiction, if anything, to be honest, or like an itch you just can't reach. Like, yeah, every time I sit down to write a piece of music, I'm like, "Woo, baby, we're gonna win big today! What are we gonna get?" Yeah, it's It's like gambling. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, flow. There's nothing better than flow, man. Like, the best feeling is being in flow. It's just, it's the best. Totally. Yo, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you to to touch on something that you taught me. So like, 
you're, you know, you've got this, you've built up to this process where you have your production process down to a level where you can sit down on a timer and make the whole first draft of a piece of music inside of a part of a day. And that is a place you work to get to. But you taught me something that a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people look at that and be like, oh my God, that is too big to deal with even. Like, how do I even make a piece of music inside of one day? And you taught me about a concept that I've passed on to so many students that's helped them, the 10 minutes a day challenge. I would love you to touch on like how that came about and how that's helping your students. Yeah, so so that came about um, when... Uh, from one of my failures. So uh, one of my failures was the year that I decided that my goal was that I was going to produce five hours a day. It was a ridiculous goal because um, it's just, you can't, if I have two kids, I have a family, you know, I have, I have to make, you know, make money. I have to pay bills. I got, I got life, you know, like I, not every day you can dedicate five hours to, to music. So by having that goal, I was setting myself up for failure and, and it was a slippery slope. So, so like the first three days was great because I actually managed to do it. But then on the fourth day I failed, but here's the thing, like on the fourth day I put in three hours, but felt like a failure because I didn't hit the five. Right. So then I I just fell down a slippery slope and then ended up like weeks went by and I I didn't produce anything because it was too daunting of a goal. It was like, well, if I can't do five hours, I might as well do nothing. And, and and that's what it became. I, I, it it was terrible. So I flipped the script and I was like, okay, a minimum viable session 10 minutes so it's kind of like tricking your brain into um into into flow because the hardest part of production is getting started um so when the minimum goal is 10 minutes uh, uh, you just set the timer out (coughs) you hit hit the timer and you just go you just get in the door to start working on something and then uh when the alarm goes off you give your permission you give yourself permission to stop so whatever you did you have permission to stop right so if it's a bad day like maybe psychologically you're not there you're not feeling it um and and, and it's time to shut down so you you shut down and you achieved your goal so you could tick off i achieved my goal for the day it feels good you know tomorrow i'll try again uh, what i found out is that like 90 percent of the time that 10 minutes turned into like an hour or two hours or three hours because uh by the 10 minute mark you're like in flow and it feels good to be in flow and you don't want to stop when you're in flow so it's kind of like a a kickstart to flow because it's not this daunting thing of like oh i'm going to produce five hours today it's like no i'm going to produce 10 minutes like i brush my teeth in 10 minutes I can produce for 10 minutes, right? So you eagerly, you jump in, you get going, and and before you know it, you're in flow, and, and that's where you want to be. Like, the fire has already started, so you could, you could keep going. Amen, man. Yeah, so powerful. Like, it's a mind hack. It's a, it's a time hack, and it reminds me of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's story about how he got good at comedy writing. He decided I'm going to write every day and I'm have a calendar that I write a big red X on every day that I wrote. And then you start a chain and then you just don't want to break the chain. Yep. 
it feels um, good. It feels good to t- tick off that day. It feels really good. Um, and, and, and it's just like it's a, it becomes like a, a, a virtuous cycle. You know, yeah. it like pro- propels you forward to, to do the next day. And then once you're deep in it, like, so now, like, I'm so deep in it. Like, I, I can't miss a day. Like, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> like, I can't miss a freaking day. Um, so, like, you ha- you have to, like, you're, you're just, like, intrinsically motivated based on, you know, your past history. You, ha- you have to do it. Like, it's, it's, like, not a, it's not an option, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. And it, it really instills professionalism in the way that like an amateur does it for the love. They show up when it feels good and a professional shows up because this is what they do every day. Yeah. Yeah. And so the interesting thing um, that, that you develop is the ability to produce in any state of mind, uh, which is helpful because when I was 18 years old, I had to be inspired to, to, create music right or so you thought (laughs) or so or so i thought i convinced myself that oh i needed to feel inspired and but the thing is like true inspiration doesn't come around that often right so like so then if if that's what you're relying on then good luck like you're on the 50-year plan because you know you're not going to level up quickly um basically uh inspiration comes through momentum so like it's just get started and and uh and show up and and then you'll be uh you'll be inspired through through momentum. I was curious, Sean. Um, so what when you're finalizing projects and you're mixing and mastering the song you're going to release, um, and you've been going pretty steady with like a track a month about-ish, yeah. um, do you still write a song that day and you do your mix master after, or do you consider your mix master session as that day's session? How do you go about that? Good question. So, um, so my days compartmentalized. So, the um, the minimum viable session is the um, no, is the thing that has to get done, right? So, so no matter what, if uh, if it's a, a challenging day, the only thing that gets done is the minimum viable session. So, like that ten minutes or whatever the ten minutes that turns into an hour, or whatever that's the thing that gets done. But um, but on your average day, it's like that's just the first component of the day. And when I finish it, then I can move on to other things like mixing and mastering and, and working on other projects, like finishing other projects and stuff like that. But it's the it's a component of the day. And, and it's the first component that I'll hit. So when it comes to creative work, it's the first thing that I'll do before anything else. I see. Yeah, that's very interesting. Makes perfect sense, though. Making it the priority, meaning like the first thing you do. First, yeah, first th- creative thing I do um, is that I'll I'll knock I'll knock that out. Um, and so, do you have tracks in the backlog already that kind of like keep the pressure off? Like you already know what you're going to release in advance, or are you doing that on a monthly basis? So I have yeah, so I have um, I have a stack I have a like a focus list stack um, that's all release worthy stuff. But here's the crazy thing. Um, you know, what I thought was release worthy three months ago gets trumped by the thing that I just created this weekend. Right. So like, <laughs> so the three songs that I created this weekend, like I'm over the moon about, right. I'm like in love with. And, and before that weekend, I was looking, I was sweating some other song. I'm like, Oh, this is the thing. 
Um, but when you get in there every day and you're knocking stuff out and um, you hit a diamond, it's like, it's a diamond right now, but three days from now, I might create a better diamond. <laughs> so like, so like I just, so I just stack the diamonds. Right. And then they, 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 um, I, I grade them in ter- you know, from like best diamond to worst diamond. Uh, in reality, they're all pretty damn good. And they're, you know, I'd be happy releasing any of them, but, um, I continue to make something that I'm more proud of. And then it goes to the top of the pot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? 100%. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to make sure that we talk about uh, before we're out of time is your role as the head of A&R at Producer Dojo because that's such an important role. You make so many of the wheels turn uh, both for the school and for the label. I'd love to hear a little about uh, quickly how you got into that role and then you know what, what it's actually like being an A&R for a label. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So when um, I, I was in my last job, um, so I worked for this corporation for like eighteen years, and um, and they basically let me go. And when they let me go, they they gave me like an eighteen month runway, which was insane. So like basically saying like, oh, you know, we're gonna let you go like eighteen months from now, right? <laughs> So I, I had time and I remember like when that happened, I was at Dylan's place and I let him know. I was just like, Hey Dylan, you know, heads up. I'm going to be losing my job 18 months from now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, he's like, Oh, was, you know, was, so I planted the seed. I just planted the seed with him. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, I love the dojo. You know, but, I mean, back then it, it was different. Like there wasn't like, like now there's so many different job opportunities within the dojo. Um, but back then it was like a dream of his to have, to employ people at the dojo. Right. But like, he wasn't, he wasn't there yet. Does that make sense? Like he was, yeah. he had all these ideas and, he, and, you know, and, and he was, he was, and he, he achieved all those ideas. Like he made those ideas reality. Um, but he would speak in those ideas and that's when I planted the seed. And I said, you know, I love the dojo. If, if, if there was ever a job opportunity at the dojo, I, 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 I'd love to, I'd love to get involved, you know? Um, so that seed got planted and it was always there in his head. And, um, fast forward to when I lost my job 18 months later. And during that whole time, um, you know, I've, I've made my EP, the dopamine EP. I started teaching at the dojo. Um, and, um, and I, I, it was around the time where, uh, like Dylan and KJ were playing Lost Lands and I was hanging out at Lost Lands with them. And, um, he was, it was around that time where he's like, Oh yeah. You know, would you be interested in like heading up A&R and and all that stuff? Um, and I was like, hell yeah, I'll, I'd be happy to. And, um, just kind of, he's like, yeah, I just need somebody to, he's like, I don't have time to focus on that stuff. I just need someone to just run with it and, you know, just take the ball and run with it and get it done. And, and cause like, I, I, he, you know, he's on a, he, well, at least back then he was on a plane like several times a week um, going back and forth all over the place and, you know, didn't have um, the time to focus on all that stuff. So I, I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So 
I um, just dove in and um, started started doing it, um, and and have been doing it for a couple couple of years now. Um, and it's changed over time. I mean, now we've ramped it up. Like when I first started, it was like, you know, we would have like one one release a month. And and now it's like we're 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 shooting for like a cipher and a, a an artist EP every single month, um, so you know the the workload is the ciphers. I mean, you all know like working on the ciphers is like how much work goes into that. It's like it's a ton mm-hmm. of it's a ton of coordination and work and so um, back and forth and stuff. So um, so it's 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 challenging because like I can't like throw too much at Dylan at once. Like I kind of have to like just be like okay now focus on this and tell me what you think um instead of i, I mean because i could theoretically throw like a hundred songs at him <laughs> be like what do you think of these songs like but, but then again know. that reality is why he you actually have this job because he trusts your ear to get them to the place and in an organized manner to where you've broken it down into these are so close to being ready. They need your final details and then your final approval. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I think I'm getting better at it, but I mean, his perspective keeps changing. So like, um, there's so many times I'd be like, Oh, Dylan's going to love this. And then I'm totally wrong. Like, he's just like, <laughs> he's like, no, no, like he's like, he needs to, <laughs> Um, oh, I've thought that about my songs too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the process of getting an EP out on the on the label, you're gonna have some songs that you think are the one. They're not the one. Oh. You really want them to be, but they're not. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have Pre- prepare killing your ego oh my on God. the way up that ladder. So that by the time you're really getting the nitty gritty feedback on your EP, you're where Sean is, where the feedback rolls right off your back, and you're like, "Cool, another draft coming up, sir." <laughs> yep. And and the funny part is, you will you will be more happy with the final product. It is a painful journey, but you will be more happy with the final product. Thousand percent, no doubt. So being being the A and R. Who who have you seen come across your desk that has really blown you away? Besides Luke Rain and Pesco, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, You're well, too I modest. mean, no, no. So I mean, it was impressive. Sixth Street was incredibly impressive. Like, I mean, he like uh, shout out like, Sixth Street. Dude. Yeah, like <laughs> with within one year, like he he got the black belt, which was like lightning fast. You know, I mean, it it, it normally takes people you know, a couple of years to, to get to black belt, but like he, he, he did, that was impressive. Like the EP that he sent in, um, his EP, um, it was just like, it was like, I was like, it was good to go. Um, um, same with like Alexandra, like she submitted her EP and it was like, there was like no feedback. Like it was like, this is fucking great. Like I, I sent it to Dylan. He's like, this is fucking great. Let's get to, <laughs> it's like, let's get this out. Like tomorrow, like, let's get this out. Like right away. Like How did she gets a shortcut, the terrible arduous process of getting all your favorite tracks tonight she she is awesome like she has an incredible ear she's really hard on herself so i mean you can imagine when when she submits something to you it's like she's already beat beat herself up like a bajillion times (laughs) and and gotten it to the point where you know she's sharing it with you so 
um, it makes sense. Like she, she did it to herself. Like she didn't need Dylan to do it. Like she, <laughs> she, she she's Damn. really tough, tough on herself. I did it to myself, and Dylan did it to me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Dude, like I, I rebuilt my EP three times. Like I took it down to the studs three times. Like it was by the end, I was ready to jump out a window. Yep. Well, yeah, speaking of Alexandra, big shouts to her for putting that dope EP out. And also, like, big shouts for becoming a sensei as well. Uh, I've been getting some feedback on some of my recent tracks from her and incredibly great feedback. Anybody who's lucky enough to have that feedback section, make sure you start uh, dropping some tracks in Alexandra's thread because great, great feedback. Oh, she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. Yeah, super talented. Um. Also, I mean, Unk, like, came out of nowhere. Like, he was, like, hiding in the wings for, like, years, for a, wa- a long time. Like, um, never made himself known. He was kind of like, uh, he was uh, stalking. Like, he was he was in the class of 808, but he was just, like, laying low. And then all of a sudden, he started dropping shit. It was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is crazy. Like, what's going on here? Um, and his EP, um, when he dropped. So good. Oh, geez. So yeah. good. I was like, what feedback? I was like, I got, like, I got no feedback. This thing's fucking awesome. Um, I gave it to Dylan. Dylan had feedback. Like, so Dylan, like, I don't know what the hell it was, but, like, you know, he just took it offline. Like, he was, like, one-on-one with uh, Unk, and he had extensive feedback. I, I, God knows what the hell he, he told him to do, but um, whatever he said to him, like, the final final was amazing. It's like toning it down. This is too good. <laughs> hey, you're making us look bad, Unc. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Unc, man. Yeah. yeah, Unc, recent guests of the podcast as well. Yeah, same with Sixth Street. Yeah. You got to get Alexandra on here, man. Oh, hey, man. So, yeah. I'm going to hit yes. her up. She's yeah, dope. do it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those definitely were, were standouts um, over the years. Um, I mean, there's so much good music out there. There's so many talented people in the dojo. Um, yeah, the community's really grown since the Patreon days, for sure. It's super awesome to see. Totally. And it's so great to just to see people level up. And then um, when you see light bulbs go off, like that's my favorite, favorite thing about teaching. Like when um, when I'm telling them a concept and uh, see the light bulb go up like that you see their eyes wide and they're just like there's like oh like the, <laughs> that's like the best feeling 100 amen so uh before we get out of here any like final parting words of wisdom you want to sprinkle on the on the humans listening yeah let them know what's coming up too yeah um, pr- plug plug yourself this will probably drop uh within the next couple weeks so some some timely uh some timely self shameless plugs but yeah so um i have a song coming up on the uh the cypher uh the urban uh urban tea house cypher um so that's coming up at the end of june um yeah i'm still working on uh my next release uh it, it which i guess will be in july um i just did a i just did a song for a friend he's going to put on on his label he's trying to start up a label i I knocked that out really quick and gave it to him um it's like a heavier it's like a really heavy kind of tune um but yeah um haven't decided what the next single release is going to be because like it's just like each time I, i get in there like i keep topping myself so it's like 
I think it's going to be this. I'm like, yeah, this is the next release. <laughs> then like, and then I'll do the daily work. They're like, no, no, what was I thinking? That was crap. Like, this, this is going to be this is going to be the one. So, but but I'm committed to like no matter what, like bare minimum, it's it's going to be a track a month. Like, there's a month's not going to go by. I'm going to have a release every month, no matter what. Um, and that's that's a great motivator. Um, so if. if wisdom to share like if you want to put yourself in a virtuous cycle <laughs> where you're actually going to get shit done put the pressure of uh, forcing yourself to have at least one release a month because you're going to want that release to be high quality because it's representing your brand it, which is going to drive you to work and it's going to drive you to do your best work um because you you don't want to release something and then it, it'd be garbage right so um, I find that having that goal really keeps me lit and on fire and, and motivated through the tough days. So like the days where I'm, I might not be feeling it, like I, I, I have that, that backup burn that's saying like, dude, you got your next release. You gotta like, you gotta, you gotta get in there. You got, you know, you gotta, it's gotta be fire. It's gotta be good. So, um, set, set yourself a goal of, of releasing one a month, but don't start releasing until you have six. So, six that you're completely proud of because then that buys you time so you, you basically have a six month uh, runway so then um so then you do release one and now you have like five months to to get the next one uh, you know ready to go so so you're you're not working on the one that's going to be the next month you're working on the mm -hmm. one that's going to be like six months from now right i can um, really take some lessons from you on that dude holy shit yeah yeah it, it takes the pressure because like um you know because say if you're having a like you know because there can be days where you have a 20 30 day streak where it's just crap like you don't want to be in a position where like oh shit like i have to release something and and you're going to release something that's subpar so like having a nice runway of six um, you know, buys you a cushion where like you could release, but still be working on your stuff and, and, and stacking up the diamonds so that when the time comes for that, where you've run through like all your, your, your six releases, um, now you have a, a stack of diamonds to choose from. So then it's just like, oh, let's break this one off and then break this one off next. And, um, and then what happens is as your daily work um, continues and you hit gold, like you keep, making diamonds or striking gold or whatever um that you put that to the top of the pile and it's like oh this is the next release so so really you, you have like a, a list of stuff that you'd be happy to release but obviously the top of the list you're happiest to release right like mm -hmm. it's it's going to be the best of the best and then it's all good it's just that like the top's always like the best of the best so uh can we expect a spider hound ep2 are you pretty content with singles right now well, so, I mean, so this year I released, I kind of, I released an EP and a mini EP. So in March I released an EP and in April I released a mini EP. So like, um, it was a five song EP in March and in April it was a two song mini EP. And, um, I, I was thinking this week, you know, cause I, I kind of struck it, struck it this weekend. The songs that I created, they kind of have like a nice, uh, continuity to them and a nice vibe. I was thinking maybe break that off as like a mini like three song EP or something like that um, for this for the for the next release. Um, so yeah, so like now I'm like getting to the territory where it's like it's it's not just releasing one song a month. It's like I'm releasing like these mini EPs or like you know like I have enough content that I could break off a couple 
without like doing too much damage. <laughs> like I still, I still have like, I still have a good, a good list. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really keeping this. You got a consistent theme of this lesson, like build a buffer for yourself so you don't like run out of run out of your content and then you can always as you move on and your bar raises you can look and reassess that list and be like all right well these three are actually all the way ready and those ones i thought were ready three months ago could do some more work totally that's dope yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that man that's exciting so if someone's listening to the podcast and they haven't heard any of your music before what is the one song they should listen to first my new release <laughs> the, the right one get it added to a spotify playlist come on people get it together <laughs> the right one released on may 22nd like uh i, I love that track um that was a magical moment like uh, that that started as a 10 minute timer that was just pure magic like it just fell together really quickly and uh, I love it. I, I, I'm in love with that track. Um, it's if you go to Spotify, it's the, my top song on Spotify. Like it's the you know um, the right one. I did a video for it, um, which I'm proud of. Like it's it's a pretty trippy video that I put together for it. Um, so yeah, check that one out. Cool. It's always going to be like what you. It's going to be like the. What's, it's, the la- it's the last one. You it's the last one. It's <laughs> <laughs> the last one you put out. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. We seriously appreciate all the knowledge bombs you dropped. and It was really fun. Your time. Yeah, Yeah, hopefully it was helpful. It was always great hanging out with you guys. Thanks for inviting me to be on the Human Music Podcast. Of course. Yeah. I think this is a great episode. There's a lot of stuff touched on here. And you really inspired me because, like, I have my, like, library of sounds and every like three months or so i'll bring in new stuff but i think i'm gonna go total yolo chaotic mode and just start grabbing stuff without listening to it and see where that takes me for a bit it's cool because because yeah because um because nicola you start developing the skill of being able to turn shit into gold right so Mm -hmm. and that's a good skill to have because think about it like if you if you've developed that then the sounds are it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you grab like it it, just grab it because you know how to finagle that thing to sound cool 100 percent yeah, totally YOLO inspiring. chaotic mode. YOLO chaotic <laughs> mode, man. It's like living on the edge. It's living on the edge. I think you just inspired a new challenge for the human music podcast. So we're gonna go on, we're gonna go on Google, we're gonna find a random word generator. You're gonna get that random word and you're gonna command F in Ableton and Ooh. search that random word. And the first sample that pops up, you gotta turn it into a lead or some sort of bass sound that you use in a little drop riff. I like that. And if All right. No results. You got to do the next one until you get one. Like All right. It. Well, we gotta. We'll we'll play those for you next week and see what kind of what kind of hot garbage we try to. <laughs> <play. laughs> hot garbage. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sean. This is yeah, great. It's all. It's fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much love. Peace. I like it. <laughs>